This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. After weeks of frustration in contract negotiations, 46,000 auto workers walked out on General Motors on Monday. GM hasn't seen a strike like this in more than a decade. Leaders are angry that their demands for a bigger share of GM's profits, better health care, and a promise that factories won't close aren't being met. On the other side of the table is GM management, which is living in the shadow of the company's 2009 bankruptcy and government bailout. And GM, led by CEO Mary Barra, is dedicated to making sure the company stays profitable. The strong General Motors is the best way for me to provide and maintain the 90,000-plus jobs that we have across the United States. Today on the show, a legacy labor union and a legacy car manufacturer are at odds. What both sides want and why they want it. Welcome to The Journal, our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, September 19th. Christina Rogers is the Wall Street Journal's Detroit bureau chief. I have covered GM, Ford, and Fiat Chrysler. Um, I've been an auto journalist for nearly a decade now, and this is actually my third round of labor talks. But your first strike. Yes, it's my first strike. (laughs) What was your reaction to this? Were you surprised by the the decision to do it? No, I wasn't surprised. There's been a lot building. I mean, you have a confluence of events here. You have these tech companies that are trying to muscle into the car business. And like, you also just have new technologies that are becoming required, like electric cars because of emissions requirements. And so it's trying to make sure it has the cash to invest in the future. And the future is becoming expensive. (laughs) Um, And the thing with GM and the other Detroit car makers is they're really vulnerable to the industry's boom-bust cycle. I mean, Basically, for decades, the the companies, you know, they have this period of extreme profitability when things are good, when the economy is good and people are buying cars. And then if the economy weakens, all of a sudden the whole thing turns on its head and they can go from very profitable years to losing money in a short period of time. The current conflict between the UAW and GM actually has its roots in the economy's last bust, the 2008 Great Recession. And both sides are looking at what happened then as they think about the future. GM had been struggling even before the recession. In 2007, the company posted a loss of $39 billion. And by 2009, its sales fell by almost 30%. Such bad sales and such big losses brought the company to its knees. Today is the day that capitalism capsized the symbol of American industry. General Motors is bankrupt. 
once the world's largest corporation. Now GM hopes to emerge from bankruptcy, a smaller company that makes vehicles people want to buy. It was the culmination of kind of this like long slide. GM had for years had numerous challenges, one of them being a very high cost of labor. They had too many factories. They were stuck in this cycle of overbuilding cars and then having to heavily discount them. And that year, GM turned to the government for help and filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In the midst of a deep recession and financial crisis, the collapse of these companies would have been devastating for countless Americans and done enormous damage to our economy beyond the auto industry. Because the auto industry is so crucial to American manufacturing and the economy, the government stepped in and invested $50 billion in GM to help the company rebuild. Working with my auto task force, GM and its stakeholders have produced a viable, achievable plan that will give this iconic American company a chance to rise again. And after it was all over and GM was out of bankruptcy, the company's leaders needed to figure out how to never let that happen again. That bankruptcy was really traumatizing for the leaders at GM. I mean, the memories of that are still really fresh. GM's current CEO, Mary Barra, came in a few years after the crisis in 2014 to get the company into shape. She was brought in to be a change agent, to really change the culture and make it more proactive, really kind of make it more forward-thinking. So Mary Barra, she made major headlines because she was the first female executive to run a car company. And she's also an electrical engineer. She's what we call in Detroit a GM lifer. She's been at GM for most of her career. And was did her dad work at GM too? Yes. Her father did work at GM, so she's second-generation GMer. And she's from Michigan as well. Do you remember your first interview with her, or the first time you sat down with her? Like, what is she like? And what is it that she talks about when she talks about GM? Yes, I do remember very vividly when I first met her. And at that time, she was heading product development. And I remember asking her what changes she was making. And she gave me this example of how you had to swipe your card in between to get into different departments and that she was going about removing those because it just seemed like a barrier that was not needed. And that to me was very symbolic of how she was trying to break down GM's siloed culture. I think GM is really looking at like, look, we cannot just lean on our history. We have to make decisions that are looking forward. And if that means kind of blowing up the way we did things in the past, that's fine. In the past two years, under Barra's leadership, the company has posted record profits. Wall Street investors have been thrilled with her performance. And one reason they like what she's doing, she has remained vigilant about preventing another financial meltdown at GM. To do that, Barra has made major decisions about the company's future. So it was really last year that GM decided that they were going to execute on a big restructuring. They really wanted to do some belt tightening and generate some meaningful savings, not only heading into the downturn, but also to free up cash for some future technology bets, such as self-driving cars and electric cars. So that set the stage. Set the stage for a big announcement from GM in 2018. This was the weekend after Thanksgiving, and news started to 
leak on that Sunday night that GM was going to start closing plants. The next day, Barra got on the phone with investors to explain the news. She stressed that, you know, this is going to improve their cash flow. It's going to really prepare them um, to take the next steps. And, I mean, her message was like, this is really going to help us move through the next downturn and free up the cash to invest in some of these future technologies. We are taking these actions now while the company and the economy are strong to stay in front of a fast-changing market and to capitalize on growth opportunities as we push to achieve a vision of a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And did she discuss the impact on employees? No, she did not on that call. The announcement hit the following morning. They announced that they were going to close five plants in North America, including four in the U.S. And two of those plants were major assembly plants, one in Lordstown, Ohio, and the other one in Detroit. Because it leaked the night before, many of the workers found out about the plant closures, like some of them as they were getting ready for work. From the morning news. So General Motors has announced its biggest restructuring effort since it went bankrupt a decade ago. The auto company says that it may close five factories, four in the U.S. and one in Canada, and cut more than 14,000 salaried jobs. GM Certainly it landed with a thud. For many of these workers, it was a total bombshell. I think at some of the plants, they had been taking off shifts, but to close the plant, I think, took a lot of workers by surprise. You know, the scene in Lordstown is there was <laughs> there was workers that were just kind of choked up and disappointed and felt betrayed. A lot of the workers felt like, hey, we really helped GM, you know, survive through the bankruptcy, and this is how we're being repaid. One of the UAW's vice president, the official who was in charge of bargaining with GM, really came out swinging. He called it callous. He said this is a real slap in the face to workers. Workers saw it as a particular insult because they believed the company was rebuilt after the bankruptcy on their backs. Even before the bankruptcy, the union agreed to lower wages for new employees. It also took over the retiree health benefits for its members, which GM had previously provided. You know, the UAW workers really remember that moment. I mean, this also has colored their thinking going forward. They're feeling like we sacrificed a lot during the bankruptcy to help this company survive. And so now when they see the company making big profits, they feel like, hey, we deserve to get more back because we did help you in that moment of need. GM said they made this move because they really, really need to prepare. And it is true, like the big trend in the industry right now is that many consumers are moving away from cars and buying SUVs and trucks. And the two plants that are targeted for closure build cars. And so GM's argument was that we're not seeing demand for these vehicles. For GM workers, the decision to close plants was hard to swallow. But immediately after the announcement, their frustration was being echoed at the highest levels of U.S. government. Ever since Trump stepped into office and even before, I mean, he's really taken the automakers to task, in particular GM and Ford, for not building more cars in the U.S. 
And when this landed, I mean, he immediately jumped and criticized Mary directly. I spoke with her when I heard they were closing. And I said, you know, this country's done a lot for General Motors. You better get back in there soon. That's Ohio. But also criticized GM for building cars in China and building cars in Mexico. Uh, I don't want... General Motors to be building plants outside of this country. As you know, they built many plants in China and Mexico, and I don't like that at all. And, you know, the the UAW members, they hear that. And I think even just, like, members hearing it, I mean, that kind of emboldens them to really take a stand. The workers also have leverage because unemployment is so low right now. GM just can't go out and hire new workers that easily. They need to deal with the ones they have. Also... It is much easier to negotiate a contract when sales are up, profits are up, things seem to be going good. You know, the company can give a little more when it is financially very strong and it's not worried about the future. And I think that's why you're seeing this friction now. The United Auto Workers Union is ready to push back on GM's decision to close plants and cut jobs. And GM is ready to defend its choices and fight back. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. Hiring with Indeed, your search is over. With over 350 million global monthly visitors and candidate matching technology, Indeed helps you find quality candidates fast. As a listener of this show, Indeed is giving you a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thejournalpod. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. Every four years, auto companies sit down with the United Auto Workers Union and negotiate new contracts. The latest round of talks between GM and the UAW started in July. What is at the top of the UAW's agenda going into these talks? Well, I mean, keeping these plants open is certainly one of them. I mean, they've they made that statement very early on heading in. But there's a range of issues that they're discussing. A big one for the union is the use of temporary workers. The companies want to use temps because, you know, they'll have periods where, you know, they need to quickly increase output, but don't want to hire permanent workers to do that because, you know, they don't know how long those sales will sustain. And so they bring in temps to do that work. The problem is, and this is what really has rubbed the UAW the wrong way, is some of these temps are not so temporary that they've been working at the company for many years they feel it's really unfair to have temps working alongside full-time employees, but making much less money. That's a major issue on the table. Healthcare is a major issue. I mean, the companies want the union members to pay more of their healthcare costs. They pay about 3%. 
And that's versus, you know, 20, 30% for most salaried workers. Okay. So in these contract talks, on the other side of the table is GM. What are they looking for? The big thing that GM wants is to keep its labor costs in check. Now, one of the things that's happened is as the market has rebounded, as GM's profits have rebounded, you know, through the last two rounds of contract talks in 2011, 2015, it did give a lot back to the workers, you know, in terms of pay raises. And so as they've given more back to the union, their labor costs have crept back up. And so the big goal for them is not only keeping those labor costs from continuing to grow, but also trying to bring them down. And also the companies are facing a lot of uncertainty. There's trade uncertainty. There's uncertainty over fuel economy regulations. And right now they could really use some flexibility. So that's a big issue for them at the bargaining table. Negotiations have gone basically nowhere since July. And this weekend, they hit a deadline. The current contract expired. In other circumstances, the union might have extended the contract a bit to give time to keep the talks going. But this time, it didn't. So when they didn't extend those contracts, we knew, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, the union is, is looking for a confrontation. You know, the bargainers on the union side came in and said, hey, we're just not getting anywhere. You know, we don't feel like GM is bargaining in good faith. And they basically said, we are at a standstill. And we were told that the vote was unanimous to strike. Shortly after the meeting, they have a press conference and they said, we're going to strike at midnight. We started last night at 12. The first shift went from 12 to 6, 6 to 12, 12 to 6, around the clock. A few years back, we gave up a lot to keep this house open. And now that they're making more money than they ever have, we feel like we should get some of that stuff back. We stood by, we gave concessions during the darkest hour to keep this company running. And now this company is making record profits off of our labor and they don't want to even give anything back, but they want to continue to take. And that's not right. That's, I feel betrayed. The strike covers more than 30 plants in 10 states, and GM has essentially 46,000 full-time factory workers represented by the UAWs. This is a major, major strike, one we haven't seen in more than a decade. We're several days into the strike right now. What are the workers giving up by striking? Well, a lot of pay. <laughs> so the way it works is, you know, they're not paid while they're on the picket line by the company. Instead, what they receive is what they call strike pay. And this is paid by the union and it is $250 a week. That's a fraction of what they'd make at the plant. What is GM losing? This does take a financial toll. So the way it works is that a car maker books revenue when a vehicle rolls off the line and is sold to a dealership. So if there's no vehicles rolling off the line and being sent to dealerships, I mean, obviously they're not booking that revenue. Some analysts have said that it can cost them anywhere from $50 million to $100 million a day. Granted, GM does have kind of a stockpile of cars, but certainly it does cost the company. And the longer it goes on, the longer the financial hit. 
Mary Barra, seems to be trying to deliver what Wall Street wants and what she wants for the company, right? To be sustainable in the future, to meet the changing technology that's coming into the auto industry. And to do that, she wants a kind of lean, mean company. But the workers want a share of the profits and to keep their jobs and to have better wages, how can she strike this balance? I mean, it's a really tough one. And I mean, there's a lot of dynamics that play into, you know, where essentially do they end up? I mean, I I really do feel like that's the question that they are resolving right now at the bargaining table. The strike is now in its fourth day and the most recent developments don't look promising. On Tuesday, GM stopped paying health care costs for the workers on strike. In response, the union put out a statement about GM saying, quote, One minute they say they care about their workers, and next, GM is cutting off people's lifeline. That's all for today. Thursday, September 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.